Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile, they're factories of growth, they lead in innovation and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In today's episode of Mid-Market Matters, I'm joined by a long-term mate of mine, Daryl Bates Brownsword, who is partner and co-founder of Succession Plus based in the UK. Um, we started Succession Plus in the UK a year ago now, and Daryl was uh, one of the founders. But I've known him for much longer than that. He's an engineer by background and also long-standing experience working with businesses as a coach and mentor. So firstly, Daryl, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Craig. Uh, great to catch up again. And I thought it would be good just to start with a bit of background around some of the work that you've done previously. Um, you've got formal training as an engineer, but you're not really working in the engineering space and haven't done for many years. You're working with business owners. So maybe tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up where you are today? I did, as you say, I studied as an engineer and uh, that was in Adelaide. Yeah, a long time ago now. I was always fascinated and I consciously got into engineering because uh, I like to figure out how things work. I've got a mechanical mind and like figuring things out and fixing things. So uh, engineering was the, the way to go for me. But uh, I graduated and, and got into engineering and, and kept moving around in various roles. I was in the energy sector, um, electricity. I was moving around regularly, getting all sorts of experience in all sorts of areas. And uh, I ended up as a commercial director of an engineering department. And uh, my boss sat down with me one day and he said, hey, look, Daryl, uh, look, what, what, what are you going to specialise in? All your peers are, uh, are developing their areas of expertise and, and you seem to be doing a bit of everything. And I, and I remember thinking, yeah, it's great, is it? Uh, I don't fit in here, do I? So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I knew I wasn't a great engineer, but I left there and uh, and moved on and I was fascinated with the consultants coming in uh, and helping us uh, restructure the organisation. And I just had a passion for business. So after 10 years as in the engineering and corporate world, I got out and uh, got involved in consulting and I was doing an MBA at the time. So uh, I was doing an MBA for this consulting practice in Adelaide. And as you know, I don't know, is it safe to say from a distance that Adelaide's not the biggest market in Australia? We were just competing with everyone else and, and doing anything and everything and, and just trying to compete with the big boys. And they tended to get uh, you know, consultants over from Sydney or Melbourne. And I was doing my marketing in my MBA and I did some research on the SME market, the mid-market size and you know, just not the corporate, the, the, the layer down from corporate. And I said, guys, look, all the stuff that we take for granted, all of the knowledge, all the systems, all the expertise that we take for granted, and we're just another player in the corporate world, we can apply to that that mid-market, that SME market out there, and you know, because there's no one that really owns that space. And they said, oh, look, that's crazy. That'll never work. Uh, so, so being young and dumb as I was at the time, and I didn't want to die wondering, well, I, I just went out on my own and, and had a crack at it. And I had an agreement with my wife. I said, look, uh, I've got to figure this out. I've got to see if, if I can make this work and give me a year. And if I can't make it work in a year, I'll go and get a real job. And I haven't had a real job since. <laughs> so you got it to work, obviously. 
I made it work and uh, a few years in uh, with the, the company I was with, uh, the business, with the coaching business, we came across to the UK. I was keen to come over and spend some time over in the UK with my family. So we agreed that uh, we would come over and support the business for a couple of years in the UK. And that was in 2005. Still here, um, still loving it. I love the compact market. I love the access to to the businesses here and the the opportunities that are available to me that I just never had um, access to in Adelaide. I remember when I first came here, I was targeting to do some coaching work with an accounting practice. And this is the kid fresh off the boat from Adelaide. And and I was approaching you know big uh, accounting practices in Adelaide and uh, you know three or four mil um, revenue and being you know quite an established business there in Adelaide, and I came over here and I was and I was talking to a local practice and they were doing six million pounds in revenue so that was you know at least at two and a half to one at the time whereas the big guys in Adelaide were going oh look we're too big for you. The, the guys here that I was talking to doing six million pounds were going, oh, look, are we big enough for you? Like, yeah, can, can you please work with us? We're, we're a bit small. And it was just a totally different attitude. And uh, and that was really energizing for me. And uh, I've thrived on that. Loved it. So it's interesting to sort of compare because we think, you know, obviously the UK and Australia are very similar in many ways, but they're also very different. You talked about the compact market. The fact that you can travel, you know, around the country reasonably easily, certainly compared to what you can here in Australia, but yeah. also the size and scale of businesses is quite different, which is particularly relevant for the mid-market. How much difference do you think there actually is in that in that aspect? I've got to keep making this relative, and and I came from a very conservative market. I live uh, in Oxford, is a very prosperous part of the country, so I'm very lucky there. It's a gorgeous part of the country, and and it's a great place to live. So because there's lots of cities very close together in Adelaide, yeah, I had access to maybe one and a half, two million people, uh, and I drove from memory about fifteen thousand k a year. Here I drive about 15,000 miles a year because of all the cities close together. You just drive a lot more and a lot further. So I think within a couple of hours of me, I've probably got access to 30 million people. It's a little bit different. Um, and and even in that small space, you get the same amount of parochialism. So I can drive to Worcester, which is, I don't know, maybe an hour away from me. And they'll go, oh, look, that sort of stuff might work in Oxford, but it won't work here in Worcester. And I'm going, what, serious? It's, it's an hour away. You get your little insular bits, and then you get the people who are a lot more open-minded and progressive. Uh, I remember working with one client, uh, a very exciting client I worked with. It was one of the first clients I started with in the UK. And they said, if you can get us to 5 million turnover, I think we'll exit the business and, and we'll sell it. They were doing just about a mill revenue at the time. I was still working with them. I haven't done any work with them this year, but I was working with them last year. And you know, they'll do something like 40 mil this year worldwide. They developed a new industry effectively. Wow. Incredibly exciting to work with You know, opportunities like that and just being involved with them on their journey, their growth journey along the way. I learned so much and and they learned a lot as well. The exposure I had to them and a lot of their clients gave me the exposure to see, you know, that what I was doing, I was I was helping businesses grow and and a lot of businesses just get caught in the hamster wheel and it just felt like growth for growth's sake. They took their eyes off the the end game and just yeah. ended up seeing so many business owners having their business as their asset, their biggest asset, and they see it as their pension or, or their super, 
but didn't do any planning around it. So they'd end up just, you know, one day going, right, well, it's time to leave and, and sell and, and get out. And because they hadn't done any planning, you know, there was no structure in place. They weren't maximising the opportunity available to them. And it meant when they when they left, they'd have to leave with an earnout to transfer all the knowledge and skills of, of the systems and the way the business worked. They had to transfer that to the new owner by being involved. And I just saw so many of them you know, end up in that earnout period going, hey, look, that last boss was mad, but this new boss is a lunatic. I can't cope with this. And they'd end up walking away and leaving so much money on the table. It really saddened me. And 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 I just saw that that was so avoidable you know, with a bit of planning and the right skills and learning in place. And for so many business owners, when they're only going to leave one business and it represents their life's work, yeah, I just you know, developed and built the passion to want to help them you know, get the most from their life's work and leave their business or, or hand over their business on their terms. Do it on the front foot rather than the back foot. That's when I got in touch with with you and Succession Plus. You know, I need to get this happening in the UK because I couldn't find anyone doing it over here pre-COVID. It was starting to pick up and uh, yeah, have some some good results. Everyone we speak to says that's a fantastic offering we need to yeah that's going to fly so yeah, there's a bit of a, a drawn out i guess story as to you know the background and, and how we we got to start succession plus over here just last year i'm going to divert for a minute you just mentioned covid and obviously we're right in the middle of that but your experience in the uk is vastly different to what's been happening here in australia um, <laughs> i'd be really interested just to hear a little bit about you know what it's like and how you've experienced it from a business point of view yeah, look, it feels like I've been under house arrest for the last couple of months, and I, I think I've earned my parole. I live in the, the country, so fortunately, we're not in a flat, we're not in a unit, we're in a freestanding house, which is not always the case over here. And we've got lots of open space around us, so we can get out and about, no worries. But the way it has been, we, we were in lockdown, we have been in, in lockdown we've been hit hard with deaths over here and it's, it's been pretty tragic. From a business perspective, we've had Brexit hanging over us for a couple of years, you know, the financial crisis uh, before that. Things have loomed over business for, for long periods at a, at a time. The market's cautious. When there's uncertainty in the market, people just delay making decisions. We were in a period where Brexit deal was done Slightly cautious around that, but a feeling of optimism and positivity and, you know, let's crack on, you know, that British spirit that they have. What's happened? There's some industries that have been really hit hard. All of the tourism, all the hospitality, travel type industries hit really hard. But there's also some other businesses and industries that have had some, some big opportunities. And in the first couple of weeks, we're locked down, but that's kind of exciting. And there was that buzz. And, and then you could feel it settle down and settle in. And people are really embracing online technology now. And you can, yeah, you've got this all this buzz speak about pivoting, but people are really embracing. There's a whole lot of networking events going on, a whole lot of people creating webinars and having web video calls now for sales and conversations, people are really embracing and enjoying and going, actually, this is okay, isn't it? This working from home, it, it is actually quite productive. It is, it works okay. And as I mentioned before, the amount of travel that goes on in this country, the amount of hours saved and the lifestyle gains from people saving time from travel is significant. And it's, it's a big topic over here. People are started, uh, talking about actually, this is okay. We're, we're liking these changes. We can do business and we can do business really well. 
we can just go into the office once or twice a week because we don't have to have that commute. Commutes on the whole over here are a whole lot longer. People will commute hours by train uh, into London usually or by car to other places. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of recognition of saved commuter time. One of my clients was has been looking for the last year and a half to, to double the size of his office, and he's now gone, you know what? I'm just going to set up a roster system where where we you know, we have half our desks as hot desks and we'll just have people work from home two or three days a week. It's working a treat. Imagine the, the amount of money we'll save. We can reinvest that in other areas. It's great and it's exciting. And, and one of my guys has said, you know, why waste a good recession? He said, we've got to start thinking of this as just a recession now. We're not sure what's going to happen, but that happens with most recessions. So he said, why don't we start thinking of the business, and this is the advice we should be giving others, is if you got to start your business today from scratch, with all of the hindsight that you've had from building it over the last few years, what would you do differently? And that's what pivot should look like. We're talking with people and and, and challenging them with that and, and going, no, 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 sit down and think about that seriously. And what would you do differently? How would you service your clients? How would you sell? What would your proposition look like? Would it still be the same? You know, what technology would you use differently? And for most people, the technology is already there. We use Office 365. Everything is cloud-based. Yeah. You know, just a few years ago, the, the opportunities just wouldn't be available that, that, that are possible today. From one respect, it, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a good opportunity for business to reinvent, if you like, or re-design the way they operate, you know, office space savings, you know, technology, et cetera, which are, you know, all net gain items for most businesses. And here's an opportunity that, I guess, forces them to make decisions and do something about it, which is good. I was speaking to the CEO of an insurance business today, and and this guy is quite disruptive in his thinking anyway, and his passion is about changing the, the way insurance businesses are run. And he wants to move away from that transaction-based commodity-type selling of insurance to actually building relationships with the, the the brokers and the providers, really getting to know your needs and knowing the insurers, et cetera. And he said, it's so easy now. He said, look, once we get to know our clients, we get to know them face-to-face, but I really want to have relationships with them. So what if I see them five times a year and I can do it twice by face-to-face and the other three by video And he said, three months ago, even though the technology was there, it just kind of wouldn't have been accepted. But now I'm putting that in our propositions to clients and they're going, yeah, cool. This forced change has forced us to embrace and and think that, hey, actually business meetings can be done by, by a video. You can get a lot more done in a video meeting in half the time because you have to be focused. You don't have the disruptions. Now, it's great to have that banter and disruptions that, that you have in a face-to-face meeting, but you can still mix it up by you know, doing some video meetings and some face-to-face. So you still get the benefits of being human and having that human relationship. So I'd like to talk now about IP. It's an area that you've done a lot of work in with clients and you know, back in the old days when we were working together in my business, I'd be really interested in your thoughts around IP and business valuation and why it's so important to get that part right. That's a, a topic that, as you know, is near and dear to my heart. I think I've worked with one engineering organisation uh, since I left, but a lot of my time has been with professional services. You know, professional services, especially the traditional ones, tend to get caught in the trap of charging for hourly rates. They, they even end up you know, turning their hourly rate into a commodity. 
and we're going, hey, look, if, if you're being priced and you've got price pressure, that's putting pressure on decreasing the value of your business. So over the years, I've been thinking, how, how do you get out of that, that price trap and that price sensitivity? Because yeah, as professional providers, service providers, we tend to be going to the client and we're going, hey, look, pick me because we've recruited the best people. And if you want an accountant, if you want a lawyer, you seem to know what a lawyer is. So we'll buy units of a lawyer or units of an accountant or, or whatever. And, and then the client is in charge of the process in that place, in that that scenario. They're saying, I want you, I want to buy so many units of your service and I can get it from this other bloke for whatever price. So I'm just, you know, I'm forcing the commodity and then our professions sort of drive down and, and just get caught up in that trap. Now, in that scenario, the client's driving the process. What I've done with a lot of clients is, is turn that leading of the relationship around and going, well, actually, Mr. Client, yeah, I'm not trying to convince you that you know you need to pick me because we've got the best people or, or you know people buy people or falling into that trap and just and just trying to convince them based on your charm and charisma. What we're saying is, hey, Mr. Client, let's turn this process around and by asking a few questions, saying to the client, I understand the problem that you've got. You've just explained to me the problem that you're experiencing, and we see this situation every single day, and we've we've worked with it so much, we've been able to model it. And because we've been able to model that, that process, here's the process and let me take you through the process. Now that puts you then in the driving seat because you're now educating the client on the process and you're not on the back foot arguing or, or discussing hourly rates. And you're saying, here's how the process works and you're now referring to a model or a piece of IP that you're drawing out or mapping out in front of the client and connecting their journey that they've shared with you to the model demonstrating how closely the model replicates their situation and their scenario. If you've got the model, if you've got IP, it's no longer just about you. It's now about the IP that your business uses and the IP positions you as the expert. Now, when you're driving the, the solution for the client based on your IP, you also get to change the pricing game. You're now in control of the process, so you now go, hey, look, now to buy this process, to solve your problem, it costs X and it's a solution sale as opposed to an hourly rate sale. So you've got the benefits of the IP that position you as something that no one else has. It pulls you out of that, that price squeeze and what I call the commodity trap. You don't want to get you know, a commodity trap. It's just a race to the bottom and, and it benefits no one. Clients need us to run profitable businesses and profitable businesses are worth more and, and they have longevity. I'll be interested on your thoughts around as a business owner out there, how do we build up a business? We're fairly successful. We've been around for a while. We're in the mid-market. How do we focus on IP? How do we start to look at our business and build and utilize, as you're talking about, get away from that commodity trap and start to build some valuable IP? Yeah, great question, because so many business owners go, we don't have IP. And the first part of that question is, I go, well, there's two types of IP. The first part of IP is what I call KFC IP. And KFC IP is all about the herbs and spices and the secret formula. And that type of IP is, you know, you can protect it, you can get patents around it and, and get protection, and it truly is a proprietary product. The second type of IP is what I call Subway IP. And Subway IP is, is you've got a, a process that everyone knows how to use. It's consistent, it's repeatable, it's reliable, 
And, you know, it's the same way of doing things. It's a proven process. A lot of business owners go, ah, look, we, we don't have that, Daryl, because, you know, we we relied on our trained people, our smart people, and it's a creative process. And if you have a look at the creative process, you, you'll see, you know, partner one or consultant one has their, their creative flair and partner two has their flair and partner three has their flair or style of way, way of doing things. And it just creates a whole lot of duplication. In reality, there's not much difference to it. And then you step back and what you need to do is unpack their head. And the way I do that is just by asking a whole lot of questions and stepping out of the process and observing them going, hey, look, you're actually asking yourself a question. It is a creative process, but you're asking yourself a question to, to steer you where to go next. The skill in experience is, is not just creating a flow chart and going, that's your IP. You've got to take it up a layer and work at the concept level rather than the detail level. You can end up with a model or, or some sort of map that you can show the client that isn't just a, a workflow chart. And when you're showing them the concept and ideally in some sort of picture or graphical form, people connect to that. You'll see a lot of consultants out there doing it um, to various levels of, of success. But the reality is, in my experience, every business has some sort of IP, a process, a standard way, a, an ACME way of doing things, if you like. They're just not aware how, how that is. They're not aware that it exists. And then they're not aware how to turn that into a piece of IP, because when you've got that, you have to change your sales process and you have to make sure that everyone does it the same way. You want to become known for that IP as opposed to that bunch of blokes or that bunch of people working in a certain way. Once you're known for the IP, then you start to punch way above your weight and you get known in the marketplace a whole lot more. And that's different to just being another provider. You mentioned then talking about changing your sales process because you've built up this IP. I'm interested in your thoughts on how you do that. What does that actually look like? I'm starting from the point of it's a consultative selling process anyway. So I, I call it pull selling as opposed to push selling. You want to pull the prospect along to you rather than to push your product on them. And I guess it started with my my very first client, uh, an Aussie guy over there. You know, when I first got into consulting, he basically taught me some sales skills. And he said, Daryl, the key to selling is to get clients on board. First, you've got to sell them what they want, and then you've got to sell them what they need. So he said, I pull them on, and once I build, then build credibility with them, I can, I've got the opportunity and the credibility to educate them to what they really need. You need to get them doing most of the talking. You need to be asking questions and figuring out where to dig down and get them to share their pain effectively. The first piece of value of that is that they've often never really fully articulated the pain. So they're getting value just by having someone listen to them and, and give them the opportunity to fully express what's going on. They're actually educating themselves the, you know, just how painful the, or how big a problem this, this is. Your job is to, to keep digging for more details and exploring and understanding uh, how much you know, stress and what, what the cost of this problem is causing them. That's the uh, the fact-finding side of things. And then it comes, you know, once you've got enough information, that then gives you the the opportunity, if you like, to go, hey, okay, I've listened to your problem, Mr. Mr. Prospect. I understand. I see this every day. So now let me show you how we do it. The traditional people who, without IP, typically halfway through the fact-find, jump in and go, oh, yeah, look, I want to share with you. I've done this before. 
and they go, oh, look, I had a client just last week. And and the sales process, the traditional sales process, I'll, I'll say, I'll call it, is all about me trying to convince you that I have the knowledge and experience you know, without any framework. So I'm just trying to convince you through my charm and, and uh, being clever and, and telling you that I've done it before and telling you how many times I've done it and how many years I've been doing it for. This new way of selling, the way we need to change our sales process is all about listening. We don't want to break their train of thought and interrupt their train of thought. We want them to fully express themselves. When it's our turn to present, we can basically go, thanks for sharing that with me. I've seen that every day. We've seen it so often, you know, here we've been able to model it and we've got some expertise. And, and let me see if I can, you know, I'll draw this model with you. And I really like the idea of drawing it out, having our model, your IP, in such a simple way that you can draw it in front of them in, in moments, you know, rather than to show them a slide deck presentation or something. You model it out, and as you're drawing it out, and you go, this part is when you were expressing this to me, and this part is when you were sharing this pain with me. And you get them engaged as you're drawing this model, this piece of IP in front of them. And when they start engaging in the story, you know that it's representing their situation well. So you've pulled them on side. And then that gives you the opportunity. You've demonstrated your expertise in understanding the problem, and you've understood the problem better than they have. And when you can express their problem better than they can, that sets you up as the expert and the logical person to work with to implement that. That's the power of IP because the, the IP you know, demonstrates and gives you all that credibility rather than you having to try and impress them with your skills or try and sell yourself, uh, which a lot of professional service providers feel uncomfortable with. I have meetings with professional service providers every day and it's, it's frustrating and annoying how many walk in and tell you how long they've been doing it and how many clients they've worked with and you just go, I don't care. Yeah. That's not what I'm here for. They're just Very trying to convince you. So before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you your number one tip for mid-market business owners. What's the number one thing you'd recommend they get onto straight away? You've got the impression that I can babble on a bit, so I'll try and give you a, a number one tip. First, <laughs> first is you do have IP. You've just got to look at things differently, and I'll bet every business owner out there, every mid-market business owner there does have IP. You possibly just need someone from the outside to help you find it. And once you've got your IP, document it, train it, make sure that everyone in the business is trained in how to use it and that they use it consistently because you want the business to be known for the IP. And that's what gives you leverage in the marketplace and builds the value, the business asset value of your business. And it's a it's a key piece in meaning that the business no longer depends on key people, but it depends on IP and your processes, which is a big kicker to the valuation. Use it consistently yeah, is the tip. Daryl, thanks for joining us. There's a lot of good value there, a lot of good ideas. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Craig. Great to catch up. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to SME Radio, proudly produced by Eagle Wave's small business podcasting platform. For more great episodes like this, go to smea.org.au. Remember, if you have a story to tell, we want to share it. Yeah.